Welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading. Today we are covering Jane Eyre, Much Against My Will. Also calling this episode Airbnb because I felt like it. Yeah, I, I didn't sign on for that. Um, let I, me have this. I let you have it every episode, woman. <laughs> anyway, so I put this warning in, but it's probably not necessary, but there is some fictional childhood abuse that we discuss in this episode. And so. possibly some real childhood abuse based on our pasts. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Who knows? So what are we drinking? Uh, we are drinking port because um, colonialism, mostly. Uh, for those of you that don't know, port is a fortified uh, sweet wine, mostly uh, consumed by Victorian men, because I'm fine with that. We also discussed slow gin, and just putting gin in a teacup, and putting gin, apricot brandy, and port all in a teacup, but then we just decided to stick with this. Right, and um, full disclosure, this tastes like communion wine. It, it does taste like communion wine. Which I feel like is uh, not not good. This is from a tiny liquor store in my parents' hometown to remain nameless because I don't want y'all going out there. Um, but when you walk into a liquor store and you know everybody by name and you go, you got any Madeira? And they look at you like you're crazy and then go, port. Do you have port? And they say, we got that. You kind of just, you're living your best life, I guess. Yeah, and they also don't question why you're not a 50-year-old man just regularly consuming port. I feel like... I don't have those little port glasses. I feel like I need to invest in those and just like, and maybe a schnifter for brandy. Are we going to be consuming port more frequently now? God, I hope not. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so the short plot, which I'm going to not lie to you guys, it's not a short plot. I'm giving you the full plot. Nothing happens in this book, but there's a lot to talk about. Can I be honest? I feel like that's most of the Bronte's work. Yes. And there's good reason for that. Is there good reason? A lot of it has to do with the fact that her sisters and her created this whole fake world, and they just wrote about the fake world over and over and over again, and would get mad when one of the siblings was at school because they couldn't be contributing to the fake world. Okay, so is this the earliest instance of a long-distance role-play, or like a fanfiction universe? I kind of feel like this was their LARP, this version of LARP. It's boring, too! <laughs> at least in the LARP world, I'm interesting. You have like cardboard weapons, or? Oh no, I can af I can afford foam. You can afford foam. Well, that's good. So anyway, for all of you who have to do a book report on this, Jane's parents are dead, so she lives with her aunt and her two cousins. They're awful and abusive. After her cousin John Reed comes and literally throws a book at her, Jane strikes back. Her aunt tries to make everyone in the house avoid her, but one housemate, Bessie, will not but before sending Jane to a boarding school and basically just abandoning her with the hopes that she dies at school. Jane soldiers on, gets trained to be a governess. She's sent to work for a grumpy jackass named Edward Rochester and take care of a little girl he's, he has who's named Adele. Which, every time we see that name, what do we do? Hello from the other side. I sent her to school a million times. Because our friend Eddie is breaking Jane's heart. Yeah, yeah. no, this is this has been something we've been doing all week. It's a problem. It, uh, yeah, it, it's everyone's problem now. Um, <laughs> Into can we, the world. Can we pause for about five seconds? Yes. Is this just... Is this like Mulan? You have to send someone off to like be a better version of themselves? 
How little babies growing up and same in China, or I guess in this case, Thornfield. I mean, it's still boring. Yeah. It's 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 a boring version of every trope that has ever existed. And I know you guys were all hoping that was the end, but it's no, not. The we're plot not, keeps we're going. not even near the end. So she goes to this house. It's super old and weird. Mister Rochester is weird. Jane initially doesn't even like him and says he's ugly, but then she starts to crush on him pretty hard. One night, Mr. Rochester's bed catches on fire, which you think would be kind of a, a warning sign. That's at least five red flags. Right. So Jane runs in, helps save his life, and he's like, don't tell anyone about this. I'm going to make some stuff up. I'm just going to tell him I knocked over a candle. And she's like, didn't you just knock over a candle? So Mr. Rochester leaves for a while. Jane thinks he's gone after this girl that he dated before. He comes back from the trip with a whole house full of people. One of the people who shows up later during all these people being in the house is named Mr. Mason. He's somehow bitten and stabbed in his bed in the middle of the night. Mr. Rochester makes Jane come help him clean up, at, or up after Mr. Mason and get him out of the house. Keeping in mind that Jane is a governess taking care of a small child. Okay? She finds, I don't know what your governesses are doing, but, you know, I expect mine to be able to help me after a suspicious death. Well, he doesn't die, but... Suspicious like, circumstance! Kind of have to help get his body out of the house, but he's still alive. Yes, uncomfortable. Okay, thank you for telling me my package was delivered, computer. Anyhow, um, Jane finds out her aunt's dying, and she goes back to her... Okay, seriously, computer, you can shut the... Okay. Um, so, with her aunt dying, Jane goes back. She basically sucks it up, finds out that her aunt has not only been a horrible bitch who treated her like crap, but lied to her rich uncle, who lives in Madeira, and said hey, I really want to adopt Jane and give her all of my money. So Jane's like, great, I have this letter that's three years old, and so my uncle thinks I'm dead. She goes back to Thornfield, and then Mr. Rochester asks, acts like he's going to marry that girl who came to his thing. Yes. Then all of a sudden he asks Jane to marry him. Yes. Jane's like, oh my God, this is crazy. She writes a letter to her uncle to say she's alive and hope that he gets it. Mm-hmm. And it becomes the least comfortable wedding planning ever. Um, Yeah. That's a very polite way of saying it. Of her being like, no, I don't want this. No, I don't want this. No, I don't want this. I can relate. <laughs> As someone who's uh, accepted the distinct possibility of dying alone, I'll have to trust that that's how weddings work. Well, I watch a lot of Say Yes to the Dress on TLC, so maybe? So my friends and I are all planning to eventually have a practical magic house, which basically just a crazy looking house in Washington state where people think that we're witches and we just re- drink midnight margaritas after our husbands are dead. But you can come. I didn't know I still needed an invitation. All well, right. You didn't really need an invitation, <laughs> but I thought you should know. I appreciate it. Okay. So anyway, back to this plot that just keeps going. They get to the altar and her uncle's lawyer comes in running saying that Mr. Rochester is already married and has a crazy wife who lives in the attic which we're gonna take a we're gonna put a pin in here because i have a lot of feelings about this there are a lot of feelings about that so basically mr rochester goes on this whole tirade about this is this crazy wife this is everything that happened and then he keeps he tells jane that she should basically abandon all of her principles since her family is dead and just live as his fake wife for a while and they can go live at this house and he, like, actually threatens her with violence, which was kind of frightening to me because I seemed to miss that entire part when I was 15 reading this book. I don't think I missed it. I think I just willfully ignored it. So Jane decides that, no, she will not abandon her principles, though she is deeply in love with Mr. Rochester. She abandons the house in the middle of the night, 
ends up at a crossroads, sicker than a dog, gets adopted by this family who she finds out she's actually related to. Is England small? No, that's the thing. It's not that small. Like, well, I mean, it's small compared to the United States, but... Well, in comparison to Texas. This is, like, grossly convenient. But her cousin doesn't know it's her at first because he sees her name on everything as Jane Elliott, and then one day he sees a piece of paper and she's been doing a drawing and it says Jane Eyre, and he freaks out and calls her uncle's lawyer because her uncle was looking for her and wants to leave her all this money, but Jane, being, you know, this fabulous woman, decides to split the money among her relatives for taking care of her because it's only fair and they should have been left money too. I hope someone hits her with a shoe. So her cousin, St. John, um, decides that he's going to India and Jane should come to India with him too. And she's like, okay, I'll come to India with you, but I'll go as like basically your sister. And he's like, no, 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 no. We have to get married. We can't just be like brother and sister. And she's like, well, I don't like you like that. And then as they're going through this whole fight and he's being a dick like on OK Cupid, she goes, she thinks she hears Mr. Rochester calling her name on the wind and says, I am coming to you. As you do. And then abandons the house, goes back and finds out that everything has been burned the F down. Mr. Rochester is now crippled. He's missing a hand. He has is missing one eye and is blind in the other. And she goes to him and reader, she marries him and changes their whole lives. And it's one of those like anticlimactic endings where you're like, Gloria Steinem would shit herself. So, if you're still with us, and you're still paying attention, essentially, a Mary Sue named Jane fell into 50 uncomfortable circumstances, buried herself within red flags from a myriad of men, only then to go back to a convenient plot device of a man, a sexy male lamp, only after he is an invalid, because you can only love someone when they are broken. Is that, am I... No, you're dead on. You're dead on. I kind of wish I'd had you write the, uh, the shortened version. I don't like this book. So this was my favorite book in high school. I hate you. And I've got to tell you, rereading it, this has explained so many of my failed relationships yeah. in my 20s. I never liked this book because from 15, 16 years old, it was like, so this is a woman who feels the compulsive need to fix everyone she is around and she fails. She fails every time, and she can only love Mr. Rochester when he is the most broken and the most pathetic, down to nearly being a goddamn child. She doesn't want a husband. She wants a project. She does. I'm violently angry. I apologize. Because, fun fact, if you thought it was uncomfortable me defending Tom Buchanan, I will get on a soapbox for Mr. Rochester. I have maintained an erection for this man since I was in high school. And he deserves better. Crazy attic wife and all, he deserves a woman who can take him at his crazy. I am willing to be the Harley Quinn to his Joker. Oh, no. <laughs> no. I blame the communion one. I have thoughts on that. So do I. That's why it was funny. So I kind of want to re, re name this book, Fuck Me, I'm Sad, the Eddie Fairfax Rochester Can story. I just say, okay, spoiler alert, we're reading Wide Cigar So See. Yes. Can I get, like, a Christian Grey book from Mr. Rochester's perspective of this scenario? Sure. I want that. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he sees in Jane. I want to know. Because he has a hot, crazy attic wife. Why do you need this plain, uh, additional, unadorned lamp? 
Well, hot crazy addict wife also tries to stab him at any given occasion. That's a kink for some people. I'm not gonna kink shame her. <laughs> I'm gonna throw in another archer thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who would wear on-fire suits? Cosplay enthusiasts! Right, like, I'm not gonna kink-shame them. This might be the most progressive relationship in literary history. A white man goes abroad and picks up a bangin' hot African-ish of descent woman, brings her home, figures out she's a little bit crazy, and keeps her in their weird Fifty Shades of Grey sex dungeon room upstairs? <laughs> this... The potential... I do like how many times Mr. Rochester is like, I couldn't, I couldn't leave her in a sanatorium. I couldn't do anything. So you chain her like an animal upstairs. Okay. That's, I mean, that's one thing. But like, the, I kept reading this book and going, oh my God, oh my God. And my husband kept going, I don't understand because they had people who would take care of that kind of thing in those days for rich people. And I got really nervous for about 20 minutes. I was there when you sent me that message. I was nervous for you. I was like, wait, what? But it's true, there does... I'm I'm very, very big on... I, I write fan fiction, so one of the biggest things I'm on is um pairings that make sense. To me, if you did not still have feelings for this woman, you would not com you would not commit her to an addict. If you really didn't still care about your addict wife, she wouldn't still be in the attic. It's very easy now for husbands all around the world to drop off a crazy wife. And they are never seen again. So, like, you have to still like her. And then we go on my 20-minute tirade about violence against women, but we're not doing that this episode. Will that require more port? That would require a lot more port. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk about, like, the violence against women part because that's uncomfortable as well, but, like, it just seems like there are 15 solutions to this problem and none of them were commit her to the attic. I think Mr. Rochester is just one of those very stubborn white men of the time period and of today where it's, there is no solution. Meanwhile, everybody's like, here's all your solutions. No, these are not solutions. Oh my God. He's Christian gray. I've never read the book, so I don't know if 50 shades of gray. I will admit that. I've read all the books, including the one from his perspective. He's Christian gray. Just let that sink in dear reader. No. <laughs> So, I was joking around that I feel like Jane Eyre had, like, the two worst choices of dudes from OkCupid. Oh, yeah. She had the one bro that already has a girlfriend, her wife, but keeps pretending she doesn't exist, but keeps talking about how all women are cheaters and crazy and all of his exes are terrible. Have you been stalking my Bumble? How dare you? <laughs> how do you know every man that keeps hitting on me? Well, there's also the worst, because I've dated this second guy as well. The guy who is sure he's a super nice Christian dude, but is a massive asshole who thinks that women are weak, and he keeps screaming about being friend-zoned. Oh my god, he's a white knight, yeah. Yeah, I've dated that guy too. You know what? Most of those guys tend to avoid me because <clears throat> I'm of color. Oh. So, I tend to have like a natural shield of melanin against those guys, but um, I, I've seen them in the wild. Well, I was a fragile white woman, so I don't know. Was? Listen, <laughs> I am portly and strong, okay? <laughs> oh no, this port is making us giggly. <laughs> I, uh, that was our drink break. That was. So, you guys should probably all know that we now are making the cheese plate a more permanent fixture on this podcast. Yep. Because we need a little joy in our lives. There's no joy in this book. 
Well, there's brief attempts at joy. From who? From whomst? Jane tries. Jane tries. And then I like how she talks herself out of being happy every time she's happy for a minute. I can relate to that. Why couldn't she die in the fire? What, Jane? Yeah. I don't like her. She's boring. She's boring, she complains, and she needs a project. She's like Belle, but not interesting. So, I do have to ask, because we were talking about this a little bit. Please. Um, you had a teacher who was saying that this was an extremely feminist text. Yes. Um, I guess it's feminists and women exist. I agree and disagree with your teacher. I disagree <clears throat> with her strongly, but I would love to hear the argument pro. So for this time period, Jane speaking out the way she does many times in this book would be completely unheard of. Naturally. Yet at the same time, the book had to be published under a man's name. Yes. For it to actually even make it out into the world. Yes. So while there are some intelligent thoughts and things that are written towards, hey, this is a strong female who can really hold her own and make it through... At the same time, you kind of have this double standard. Now we yeah. know it as being by Charlotte Bronte. And after, I believe it was the second or third printing, people knew it was by Charlotte Bronte. Right. But that was after her friends were like, why don't you just tell people you wrote it? Right. Like, she didn't even tell people in her town that she wrote it. She didn't tell the guy she ended up marrying that she wrote it until right. much later on. And even if we ignore that part of it, I, just, I think just from a text standpoint, it's not very feminist to me. Because at the end of the day, and, I'm, and I understand that I get to read this from the benefit of living in the 2000s with somewhat more equal gender roles, uh, this is still a woman who feels the need to fix a man mm-hmm. in a stilly screeching harpy, a quiet screeching harpy, but a screeching harpy, and feels the need to infantilize everyone around her. That's not feminism. Right. I don't, I don't like her. And something I found really interesting that happens over and over again is Mr. Rochester keeps referring to Jane as a sprite or a fairy or an angel or a creature. He never refers to her as a woman. And it's only, it's very much like when you're really young and you're dating an older dude and they're like, you're not like other girls. And it's really destructive it is remarkably destructive because it's then denying humanity to a woman. Mm-hmm. It's putting them in this category of otherness that makes it easier to objectify them. And I face that a lot as a person of color, where I get described by my skin tone a lot. Like, oh, you're mocha skin. Like, stop. I'm not a Starbucks drink. <laughs> you're not a caramel macchiato with extra whip? I mean, I am, but, like, men don't get to say that. Um... It's frustrating because that's something that women still deal with. And not just with older guys, with just guys. And it's really destructive, too, because as a woman, when you're younger and you, even older, when you're told you're not like other girls, you start setting yourself apart. You start saying things like, well, I hang out with guys more because guys are less drama. Have you ever really hung out with a large group of guys? Because there is so much drama. Right. Have you ever seen peacocks go to war? It's great. It's just a human thing. Humans are drama. Right. I mean, you may find somebody who matches your level of drama, and then that's fine. Or realistically, don't. Do do not try to pair with someone who's on your level of crazy. One of you has to be normal. (laughs) Math. Yeah. No math. No math, please. There's also quite a few references to Jane as a bird. 
which is really irritating because, as we were talking about, it's very difficult for her to suddenly be described as a human. Yeah, it's dehumanizing, but also I feel like she doesn't deserve it. And there's quite a few things about her being trapped and then being allowed to be set free and then flying back, and it's like, no, no. Okay, this is literally Fifty Shades of Grey. I just want you to know that. So here's my thing. If I came in to a shit ton of money and I had just escaped a situation where the guy I loved had a crazy wife in the attic who was going to try to kill me and try to kill him, right? I would stay as far away from that man as right. possible. And I mean, part of me just thinks, did she just think she only had two choices? Her and even brother she, cousin or like... And even if she did, just why? Why did it take... Why did it take that much? Because that just seems... And I think I'm more concerned about from a narrative standpoint. Because I understand, how, like, the, the bigamy elephant in the room. You have to get rid of the crazy wife. I understand. But, like, why did we have to break down Mr. Rochester so much? Because it wasn't done to further his character. He's not better now. No, he's he was not, still a yeah. major asshole. He's not cleansed by fire. Because there's a million... It's so symbolic. I... One of the things that I hate is when writers feel like they're clever. It's one of the reasons I don't like J.K. Rowling. It's like, ooh, I'm going to name him Sirius Black. Woo! I don't like when writers feel like they're being clever. And you can feel Bronte doing that with Mr. Rochester's interview. That he loses a hand. He loses his eyes. He's pure. He's more cleansed. He's atoning for his sins. You lose a hand when you're a thief. You lose your sight because you've seen something profane. We get it. You read a Bible once. Okay. Well, a lot of the biblical scenes, too, and I mean, she references the Bible constantly. Too much. It's because her dad was, like, the local pastor. I don't give a hoot and a half. <laughs> I taught Sunday school for a year. <laughs> she ended up marrying a guy who worked for the church, too. I don't give a hoot. <laughs> so we get it. You picked up a Bible once. He's not better. Okay, multiple times. Ma'am. <laughs> so what's, what's interesting to me about Mr. Rochester is he does stay a dick okay yes my what always surprised me because most of the movies will cut to the scene where they find the wife in the attic and then jane is gone like she takes off but if you watch the mia wazowski i can never pronounce her name i apologize you do some crazy roles and i like them mia wazowski wazowska whatever she and um fassbender michael fassbender are in a version I haven't seen the Kayla Skidero one because I'm too cheap to pay for it. Um, but they actually show the scene where Mr. Rochester is talking to Jane after all the wedding fiasco stuff. And he literally does grab her by the throat and say that he can break her like a reed. And that is in the book. And I don't know how I glossed over that like the five times before I've read this book. But I reread it and went, oh my god, this is uncomfortable. He literally puts his hands around her neck and says he can break her if she says that she's going to leave. But it's Michael Fassbender. And it was still really uncomfortable. <laughs> By the way, if you ever try to watch Wuthering Heights with Tom Hardy, it's even more uncomfortable. Because it's not even sexy Tom Hardy. It's just Bane screaming in period clothes. Wait, is there a sexy Tom Hardy? Okay, that's fair. I think there's there's some mm -hmm. movies we're supposed to where I haven't watched. Show it. me on the doll. Where show me on the Tom Hardy doll where he touched you. <laughs> like, are, are, is is Venom the sexiest Tom Hardy movie? We want to know is Venom the sexiest Tom Hardy movie? I haven't watched it. 
I don't really go to the movies unless it's because I don't like to spend money. <laughs> it's a problem. Libraries are great, kids. Stay inside. Ignore the attic wife. Ignore the attic wife. Oh, there's there's so much and so little to cover on this book. I really feel like we could have another podcast just talking about Jane Eyre and so small diatribe. Okay. I don't like romance. That's fair. Neither do I usually. I I don't like romance mostly because again of how it frames these situations. I don't I don't get off on that power play because it usually isn't a power play. It's usually the man holds all the cards and the woman is just tripping over herself trying to figure things out. And I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy watching that. And especially early romances like this that are so profoundly uncomfortable. There's just nothing about any of these characters that I want good things to happen to for them. So the funny thing is there are like three characters in this book that I like. I like Helen Burns, who is very much the long-suffering Scottish girl at Lowood School. So she's you. Okay, sure. Um, and then I like Sinjin's sisters. They're very much like, Jane is awesome. She's going to live here. She's our sister. And then when Jane goes, hey, so your brother didn't take it very well when I said I wasn't going to marry him. They're like, oh, okay, well, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Like, she actually has female friends. And I feel like if she listened to them more often, it would be a lot better for her. I feel like if she just listened to anything with common sense, because... Again, you're just, you're, she's up to her neck in red flags at this point. What was fascinating to me, too, is that Miss Fairfax, who is basically the housekeeper for Thornfield, well, she is the housekeeper for Thornfield, has all these delusions of being high above her station. Mm-hmm. Like, she tells Jane, it's so nice to have somebody of my level here because the other people are all servants. And it's like, girl, you are a servant. Yep. Like, I don't care if you're distantly related to Mr. Rochester. You are a servant. Is this where we talk about the um, uncomfortable race elephant in the room? Oh, are we going to talk about the whole quote-unquote gypsy sequence? Uh, or the fact that he has a brown wife in the attic? There's that, too. Uh, so we'll probably talk about it more when we read Ride Cigar So See, because it's a bigger point in that novel. But uh, it's interesting that Charlotte Bronte, and all of her infinite wisdom, felt the need that it needs to be a brown woman in the attic who's crazy and unhinged and just out of control and burning with passions and desires that she so feels the need to burn the house down. Dark haired, dark eyed. And then we have the complete opposite in Jane, who is this tiny little blue eyed woman. Yeah. So she's not blue eyed and I've just been making that up for years. So here's the thing. As a biological female of color, um, that is a trope that still hurts women of color to this day. Oh yeah. Of just being, like, the the crazy black woman. Like, you have no idea how many times, like, I'm on dating apps because I'm desperately single. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I don't think you're desperately single. I think you're fabulous, so. If there was a way that I could, like, without being assaulted, throw business cards with my phone number on it and, like, each individually be, like, kissed with red lipstick and that bring in a gentleman caller, I would do so. I think now those are just the porn ads. Yeah, I'm not, I have some dignity. I know um, you do. That wasn't a laugh yeah. at your dignity. I know. I was just thinking of those guys in Vegas who have the cards that they snap against their hand to yeah. try to hand you porn stuff. Yeah. We're not quite there yet. But um, that's a... You have no idea how many times I hear from mostly white men. I'm going to be honest, mostly white men. Oh, you don't smoke one of those crazy black women. Like, I'm not Taraji P. Henson. Relax. Like, this is an empire. What are you talking about? Well, something I was listening to a lot of stuff about feminism lately. 
Um, cause I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, if in my fun life, I'm also a reviewer. And as I'm going through it, I'm listening to this book, and yes, it's Gloria Steinem, which is why she got a shout-out earlier. This is two now. <clears throat> this is two now. Um, but she was talking about the destructive conversations that we have about women of color, mm-hmm. about the matriarchal society and how it holds down the man. And it does so much damage, not just for people of color, but women in general. Right. Because and it's horrifying. Right. Because then it juxtaposes that whole innocent waif white woman thing. So it then makes black women or women of color um, weird and other and too strong and superhuman and out of control. But then it infantilizes white women as well. It's bad for everyone. It's a bad time for everyone. It is. It's really dangerous. Especially because, I mean, how many women have had to keep their families held together? Like, of any color. And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't get to just say, oh, she's black, so she must be crazy. That's not fair. Or because she's black, she must be strong. Or because she's black, she must be... No. And I think that was the hardest part of this book, was that, like, the one character that I could kind of relate to died horribly in a fire, and no one cares about her. It's, and everybody in town is like, oh, well, evidently he had this other wife. That was weird. Right. And it's like, she's been there forever, and there have been rumors about this forever, and right. none of you thought maybe we should go check? Right. Ugh. I also think there's, so there's a part that you will probably never see in any movie adaptation, where Mr. Rochester dresses up as a gypsy fortune teller. And I gotta tell you, I don't use the term gypsy. That is the term that's in the book. Okay, the Roma, the Romani, they're a very proud tribe of people. They have their own way of life. And it really pisses me off when people are like, I have a gypsy soul. I'm like, no, you don't. You have a horrible slang term that you're using to try and say why you don't want to go to college. Okay, calm the fuck down. You saw Rent one too many times. I've never seen Rent, actually. What? I've never seen Rent. I've sung a song from Rent for an audition, but I have never... Anyway, how are we friends? I don't I have problems. I'm sorry. It's okay, same. So, it's really horrifying as he's pretending to be this fortune teller in this room and he's like, "Will not leave until he talks to Jane." Can we pause though very very briefly? Where did yes. he get this outfit? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm like, did he like go, "Okay, guys. So, I want to look super fabulous and I gotta look kind of like rough okay can you get me a pack of tarot cards and also I need a crystal ball and like just I can't I can kind of imagine him telling Miss Fairfax like okay so I'm gonna need you to go into town and get me like 18 colors of silk can you do that and her going what is are you on drugs sir did he sew the outfit himself that's the only thing I can think of because nobody else in the house seemed to know and she comes in and I just love that Jane is sitting there the entire time going no, no, um, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. Um, no, that's not my fortune at all. No, no, I'm pretty sure you're full of it. Like, I don't, no, 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 no. But it's so awkward and so racist and everybody's like, oh, it's so funny. He knew exactly what my future was going to be. It's like, yes, because you're a rich white woman who's looking for a fortune. He's going to know what your future's going to be. I'm still just, okay, I need that behind the scenes credit of him just like meticulously sewing silk together or, like, having to, like, on the download pay a seamstress to make a dress for, like, that one time just in case. I, I would love to see that. Like, here's a lot of money. Here's a lot of money. It. Here are my measurements. 
please make me look like Esmeralda. <laughs> well, then there's that whole thing with Adele, who, like, is mentioned a handful of times in the book is basically a, a minor plot device, and then it's like, send her to school, we're done. Thank you, exposition child. But the whole thing about her mother and her doing the little dances where she's extremely coquettish and, and singing songs that are very much above what her age level should be, and just Mr. Rochester being like, yeah, our mother was a whore. Like, in front of the child. Like, I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh, what? I mean, like, that's on very similar to, like, Jane's treatment when she's back at home. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you really do marry your relatives. Because, like, what did John Reed used to do? He used to throw books at her head and, like, hit her with fake swords and come after her ass and be like, I'm going to fucking kill you. And she marries it. I'm an only child, so that's always just been what siblings are to me. Okay, so I've threatened to punch my sister. So this is how my sister and I relate, and we're fabulous now. We did get along great. But at one point in time... I was going to be a journalist, okay? I had my laptop. It was my favorite thing. Um, the whole family used the laptop because our computer, our main computer wasn't working. Yes, mm -hmm. we were middle class. Um, I'm using the laptop, and my sister goes, I'm going to pour water on it. And I grabbed her by the shoulders and threw her on the ground, and I had my fist poised to hit her. My mom opens the door, looks at me, looks at my sister who was laughing, and goes, Sam, stop antagonizing your sister. Yeah. The worst thing that I ever did was, um, during a wake, me and one of my younger cousins uh, locked her little sister in a dog kennel and said this was World War II, and I was Germany, and she was Italy. Oh my god. <laughs> so if you can imagine me as a child perched upon a dog kennel. Your childhood was dark. I mean... <laughs> Mine, we just pretended we were zombies and shot each other with fake guns. I mean, like, we let her out eventually. I mean, to be fair... We did put my dad's girlfriend's daughter in a suitcase, zip it up, and push it down the stairs. I think so. that's worse. <laughs> no. Shenanigans. Hey, she got me back. She locked me in a closet for like four hours. Okay, see, I, what I'm hearing is, is that Jane was weak and couldn't take it. Bailey, I love you wherever you are. Uh. Sorry I pushed you down the stairs in a suitcase. Ma'am. <laughs> Port. Not Port. just for confessional anymore. Or really for confessional all the time. This really, I, I do feel like we've confessed something, and all I have in the back of my head is that this just sounds like a Victorian Fifty Shades of Grey, and I'm upset that I know that reference. I'm a little upset you know that reference too, but it's okay. Please be mad. I blame my aunts. So, I'm going to tell you some facts about the author that might clear up this book a little bit more. Because that she's boring and everything was boring and her one cool brother died. Her brother was, like, crazy and had her an one, affair. Her one cool brother died. So, I didn't say he was good, I said he was cool. As discussed previously, the reason that there's so much religion in this book and so much of Jane's decisions have to do with religion is because her dad was a clergyman and her husband was a curate. And they were way Anglican. Very Anglican. Charlotte was the oldest of three surviving sisters. Anne and Emily were her younger sisters. Anne was a poet. Emily wrote Wuthering Heights, which we'll probably cover at some point and cry and drink a lot. Charlotte's two older sisters, Marie and Elizabeth, died at school, and her brother died a few years later after having an affair with a the uh, married woman of the house he was working in. And also from generally being a badass. Yeah, and drinking a lot. Actually, most of the alcohol notes about the Brontes were because of their brother. Yes. R.I.P. 
So, as as we were talking earlier, women didn't get published, so Charlotte and her sisters wrote under pseudonyms. Mm -hmm. Charlotte was Currabell, Emily was Ellisbell, Anne was Actonbell. Charlotte was the only one to outlive most of her family. She was sent to school for clergymen's daughters that was awful. Kids got typhus all the time, killed multiple children, including Maria and Elizabeth, her older sisters. Ah. Um, After the two older daughters died, her dad Patrick pulled Charlotte out of school and that's what she ended up basing Lowood School on in Jane Eyre. Yep, okay. So she she knew shitty schools. Um, she and her sisters used to have a fake newspaper and were obsessed with Byron-esque stories. Which Nerd. is why you have Mr. Rochester and you have... You know what? Heathcliff. And yeah, that is a that is aggressively a Lord Byron character. Yes! He is aggressively a Lord Byron character. Just insufferable... Faces no consequences whatsoever. Probably has an uncomfortable STD from whores in France. Yeah, a a queer ubermensch. I feel like I should clarify. I'm like, they were whores back then. We didn't call them sex workers. I mean, I did. You weren't alive yet. (laughs) This is your past life. You're like, this is a sex worker. I don't know. Maybe. Um, Charlotte actually based Thornfield off of her friend Ellen Nussie's childhood home. There was a huge house that had a large split tree in the middle of the property, which you have this big symbolic tree in Jane Eyre of when she agrees to marry him, the tree splits in half from lightning in the middle of the night. And you're like, that's a sign, dude. If you can't hear that, that was the deepest eye roll in human history. It was pretty great. So Charlotte was not a perfectly good girl, just so we can all be clear. I wonder what gave that away. She fell madly in love with one of her professors in Brussels when she was at court, at a boarding school. His name was Konstantin Hager. I can't pronounce it the German way. I apologize. Hager? Sure. Did I do it right? You were close enough. Okay. So he was way married. The wife was way in the picture. I'm sorry. How are you slightly married? Ma'am. He didn't really want to be married, I guess. I don't know. So that's not way so, married to me. So Charlotte ended up getting pulled out of the school, and she was, like, crazy heartsick over him. And she ended up writing a book called The Professor, which no one would publish until after she died. Um, you see professor characters and, like, these older male figures in all of her books. So The Professor, Villette, Jane Eyre. It's super uncomfortable, and it's in every stinking book. Um, she was a teacher for a long time, but she resented the fact that her middle class charges didn't pay attention because they'd never have to work to earn money. So it pissed her off a lot, which is why you see a lot of that in her books as well. And which is why the children in, when she's teaching school around Sinjin, they're all like farmer's children because they will have to work for a living and she would rather see them educated. Are we ever going to, um, dispel the myth of the, um... The Noble Savage. Yes. It, I think we're going to have to do... It's called the other name is the Leatherstocking Tales. Last of the Mohicans? Yes. Or I think we're going to have to do Last of the Mohicans. Okay. I had to read that in eighth I, grade. I never had to read it. It was really uncomfortable. I'm sure, but... Um, <laughs> I, and I don't I don't mean to analogize the two, but like that just all screams like Noble Savage. to be like, oh, these poor innocent children of the land. Um, it feels very Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh, we're we're like, going to have oh. to read that one too. No, we're not. No, we are not. Nope. <laughs> I get one veto. Okay. Um, okay, that's fair. So Charlotte's publishers were always trying to get her to come to London because she was 
very much like, no, 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 I'll, I'll stay at my home. I'm fine. And so finally they convinced her and she met and befriended Harriet Martineau, Elizabeth Gaskell, and William uh, Makepeace Thackeray. And then they convinced her to stop calling herself Currabelle and just start going as Charlotte. She didn't like leaving Haworth, her home, because her dad was really old and very sick. And so she wouldn't leave for more than two weeks at a time. How sweet. Which is very sad. She ended up being minor friends with Elizabeth Gaskell, and Gaskell wrote a biography after her after Charlotte died about her, so... Will you, might, will you write my biography? I will, and it's going to be really damn funny. Thank you. Charlotte was proposed to you by her father's curate, Arthur Bell Nichols. She initially told him no because she really wasn't into it. And then her friend Elizabeth Gaskell was like, hey, it's a good idea. You know, he seems like a good guy. And her dad was like, oh, hell no. No, 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 no. You can do better than that. But then her dad finally gave in and said, okay, you guys can get married. And keeping in mind, she's in her 30s. She's older at this time. So he said he'd give her away at the church. Her dad did. But then the day of the wedding, he changed his mind and said that she was going to have to go to church alone. Which, that's really shitty dadding right there. Yeah, that sounds like. I can't relate, but it sounds like. It's like, oh, mm. I mean, hell, my stepdad even walked me down the aisle, okay? Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Uncomfortable story time. My dad died six months before my wedding. Oh, we're all going to be sad, but um, no, I'm going to drink more port and we're all going to be fine. Um, So Charlotte died shortly after she got married and was pregnant. There is belief that she had typhus or tuberculosis, but we also think that that may have been caused by hypermesis gravidarium, which is extreme morning sickness. I've read about that. Yes. It's, um, what's her name? That comedian right now has it. Amy Schumer. Schumer. Um, And... So a lot of historians are still really pissed off about it, and they blame her husband for her death, which is really not fair. I was like, it was the, it was what time period? What could he have done? I know. It was like, um, I guess we could never have sex. Right, like, I, mm, I, mm. I feel a certain way about that, but I'll, all right, continue. I read that part aloud to my husband, and he's like, well, it wasn't his fault, and I'm like, oh, uh, I mean, unless this is the Talia al Ghul scenario, it is. At least portion. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> I just realized you don't know that reference No, I do. Oh, praise be! <laughs> I just wish I didn't, but here we are. I'm kind of a deviant. I'm sorry. No, I like that you're kind of a deviant. It makes me feel better. Because <laughs> I'm kind of a deviant. And this is one of those fun things where someday when we're rounded up and put in a concentration camp for being feminists... This is the podcast that uses evidence. Anyhow. Wait, no, 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 no. You did not go full 1984. Ma'am. 1984 has scarred me to the very depths of my soul, okay? I I mean, unfortunately, I'm going to have to rat you out. We're both Slytherins. I mean, I, 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 no, I don't know. All right, let me get my red diary with the weird marbleized cover, and then you can use that as evidence. Wonderful. So, there are some good sources to check out about this. Um, are there? Well, I mean, if you're wanting to find out more about Charlotte Bronte. Um, the recent adaptation of Jane Eyre with Mia Wiesikowska. I'm going to try again, and then I'm going to get a note on Twitter, like, learn how to speak, please. Um, and Michael Fassbender. It's a decent adaptation. They skip a lot of it. So, just as a heads up. Also referenced Wikipedia, because that's what you do. There's a really good book about Charlotte and Arthur, her husband, 
um, Charlotte and Love. It's by Brian Wilkes. And then there's a really great book about Charlotte's friendships that helped her kind of end up writing her book and getting out of her really uncomfortable situation with her older teacher. Lovely. Um, the book's called A Secret Sisterhood, and it's about female friendships in authordom. Oh my gosh, a, a thing that no one talks about. It's so good. Well, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like when we end up covering Virginia Woolf and stuff, we're, I'm going to be able to reference. <laughs> the book's by Emily Midokurawa, and I apologize, you can speak Japanese better than I can. Midorikawa. Midorikawa. And Emma Claire Sweeney. Leave it to me. I can say the English one really easy. I'm proud of you. Okay. So, on the next episode, we're reading the prequel to Please Have Sex With Me, I'm Sad, the Eddie Fairfax Rochester story, or... Quiet Cigar So See, also known as Please Have Lots of Sex With Me on the Beach. That's by um, Jean Reese, and I think a lot of you are going to be really surprised that this book was, like, written in the... I think it was the 30s or the 60s. 30s through the 60s. I have to look it up. I'm sorry, I'm still learning. You know, it's more recent than you would think. Um, I will say the one good thing my English teacher did was um, we read a lot of prequels after we read the old boring books. So we read uh, Beowulf, and then we read Grendel. We read Jane Eyre, and then we read uh, White Cigar Sissy. So that Mrs. Cochran, you did that one good thing very well. Thank you, Mrs. Cochran. Um, and it it made me not hate Jane Eyre as much, but I still hate Jane Eyre a lot. Um, this is usually the part of the podcast where we talk about... Um, Maybe why this did or didn't work for us. Yes. So this book worked for me when I was much younger mm -hmm. and much more impressionable. And I thought that, judging from how I saw the world around me, that this was how a woman was supposed to be raised and mm -hmm. that she should, you know, be subservient and, and try and fix her man. Mm -hmm. And now as an older woman in a relationship with a human being who's fully functional. And not a lamp. And not a lamp. Um, I realized that he fixed his own damn self. Mm -hmm. um, we both lived our full lives, and we know each other as our best versions, and we continue to grow with each other. So now this book doesn't work for me. This book never worked for me, um, and it might just be the glorification of Lily White characters. Um, it might be the violence against the one brown woman and the racism against uh, the Romani people. It never worked for me. From principle, it never worked for me. And it might be my own personal experience that I struggle with, like, the man or the woman as project. I've never liked that because um, that really burned me a lot when I was younger. And I bristled at that. No human being needs to be a project. This isn't a, uh, this isn't a teen dramedy. You can't fix a man. They don't... Or you can't fix a woman either. It just, it never did anything for me. And now I'm just more angry that there are young people who are reading this and they don't have the framing or the people around them challenging them to say, hey, maybe don't do that. So I went from not liking it to being like actively angry at it, which, yeah. And it's a long book to be reading through and be actively angry the entire time. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's, it's boring. And I don't like saying that about books. And that's your English prose hatred, too. Your old... It's so Victorian. stuffy! <laughs> it's... Where's the drama? Well, there's lots of drama. It's just buried in stuffy prose. Okay, look. If we're going to treat this like a dress on a mannequin, I need some kind of cleavage. <laughs> I'm a pulp... I mean... I'm a pulp smut writer. To, I don't have time. To be fair, that's what Mr. Rochester was all about. He wanted just some cleavage, man. 
I mean, he got it. In the end. Had to lose a hand. And his sight. Can we also talk about for a brief moment the practicality of this now? He's gonna die in like five years, right? I don't, I don't know. The interesting thing is, it's like, then you, there's, okay, so then it's, reader, I married him, and you're like, okay, good, the book is over, and then, and this is what, like, pretty much every movie adaptation does, it stops with them re-meeting again, because yeah. it just goes on about how they got married, and she basically guided him all the way through life, and then yeah. one day he got the sight back in his eye, and he could see her, and he could see their newborn son, and he knew he had a son, and it's like... Oh my god, it's... Okay, okay no, she, pause. He had to be on a ton of painkillers to survive. And I don't think they had that there. No, I mean, they had it, opium. I think it was like opium and a shit ton of Madeira. So, he cannot consent. There is some Law and Order SVU nonsense happening here. Okay, so I will admit, I was actually finishing this book trying to figure out how that he would prop himself up for sex because I could not imagine a Victorian man allowing a woman to do it cowboy style. And I was like desperately going, okay, so we he's literally able to prop himself up with no, his hand. He's not. So how, how did this happen? I'm very concerned. There is some nonsense going on I in mean, the footnotes of I this. I mean, this might just be the Victorians didn't understand how sex worked. I mean, no, they did. <laughs> they did. Did you not read Victoria's letters about her and Albert? Oh my God. They did. They... That was that was awesome. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they... Okay, so growing up as a Victoria, my favorite thing was when people would be like, "Victoria, what's your secret?" When we walk by at the mall, I go, "That Queen Victoria wrote a bunch of smutty letters about her husband," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> Cheers to that. I had a teacher in high school who used to ask me, Hi, Mr. Cutler. I don't think you're alive anymore, but I wish you were. Okay. Um, but he used to always go, Queen Victoria, when did you die? And I'd be like, 1901, sir. He's like, ding-a-ling. And I'm like, what? Because he would do it at the end of class, and he was the bell. Not the, not the rail bell. He was the bell. Ding-a-ling. He was... Oh, I was like some like, weird sex language. Like, no, 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 no. He was actually in the Olympics at some point in time for their rowing team, and there was this tall, lanky, older dude who, like, you could tell really didn't care that high school students knew anything, but he was going to teach you about World War One and if it stuck, he might be a better human being. And he would come in in these fire engine red pants or lime green and, like, a button-up shirt, and he'd be like, Class, today we are going to discuss World War One." And it was the best because he would divide you into groups. He's like, you are Russia. You are Poland. And like, oh, God. And he'd be like, you are all part of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. Like, you'd point to a different groups and we'd be like, wait, what does that even mean? And he's like, which one of you started the war? And we're like, ah! And we had to defend for like 30 minutes why we weren't responsible for World War One, and he goes, now this is what every newspaper in every country sounded like at the time period. That's wonderful. I support. He was fabulous. I support this. But no, I now have several anyway. questions about um, Mr. Rochester's ability to consent to having a child. So is this just... I'm now more angry at the infantilization of Mr. Rochester. I feel I've like... had to be your caregiver. For the record, I've had to be a caregiver. I took care of my grandmother as oh, she was in her later years. Uh, it's, there is nothing profoundly less attractive or less romantic. So part of me just feels like this was Charlotte Bronte attempting to write out every horrible thing that had ever happened in her life so she could get it over with and on paper. 
Like, I feel like this was the ultimate um, Mr. Hanger fan fiction. Like, my teacher was sexy, so I'm going to make him into an older man. I feel like that's literally what yeah. he did, and now I hate it even more. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. I don't blame you. Well, I mean, I do blame you. We're doing this. I, I did pick this yeah. book, so. You picked this one. I, I picked the pulp Harlequin romance, where it's just a lot of sex on the beach, and uh, flowery language about black women and black skin. I picked that one. You wanted the I'm sad, please have sex with me express. <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> by the way, port wine. Port. This podcast brought to you by port wine. And I'm, bad decisions. Very bad decisions. We should probably eat more of this cheese plate. Do we have to? You don't want to eat it? I don't want anything anymore. <laughs> I'm deeply concerned about the status of humanity. Jane Eyre has made me the angry. If you want to get angry with us on social media. If you want to share in my indignation. We're at Unfortunately Require, Required Reading on Facebook. Yeah. Unfortunately RR on Twitter, because Twitter is weird. It won't let us have that many characters. We're trying. Unfortunately Required on Instagram. Yes. UnfortunatelyRequiredReading.com. Woo! Woo! And if you'd like to suggest a book for the podcast or have a funny story about your English class or literature, you can email us at unfortunatelyrequiredreading at gmail.com. Yes, and um, next week we will have more fun as we discuss the efficacy and importance of Harlequin romance. I like that we're bringing this in. I still don't know that I want to do Fifty Shades of Grey at any point in time, dude. We're not! I'm meaning White Cigar So See, ma'am. <laughs> You seem I mean, to be the one with the. You seem to be the one who wants. I to. mean, to be fair, we did just read Victorian Fifty Shades of Grey, so if if we hit fifty listens in four weeks on this episode, I will force Victoria to read Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't want to be part of this experiment. I am making you a part. You are now okay. my attic wife. Is it fifty listens on this episode? Yes. Okay, so 50 listens on this episode. You have four weeks. And I will publicly read it. I will record myself reading parts of Fifty Shades of Grey for you. And as penance, I will read portions of Grey from Christian's perspective. All right. You guys have a challenge. I am now going to turn Victoria into my attic wife. No! <laughs> Can I just give you more port? Yes! <laughs> Okay, we're done complaining at you. Go read a book.